Unfound is brought to you by the generous listeners at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube, along with our gracious advertisers. Brandon Roberts was a 39-year-old from Portland, Oregon. He was the father of three and had worked to help the homeless. On June 7, 2021, Brandon was due to talk to his oldest son on the phone. However, when that time came, someone texted back on Brandon's phone saying Brandon wasn't there. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. There's a joke I heard some years ago. Was it by Jerry Seinfeld? It had to have been within the 21st century that humans really didn't realize how much they hated talking to each other until emailing and messaging came along. Think about it. You probably know everything that is going on in your friends' and family's lives, but you aren't quite sure the last time you heard any of their voices except when you were in the same room as they were. This is a big deal in disappearances because one of the ways we best gauge when exactly a person went missing is when was the last time somebody who was trusted heard that person's voice in a live setting. Yet, because all of us, myself included, take for granted that the people on the other end of the messages are who we think, this has caused disappearances to not be noticed for days, weeks, even months. The best example Unfound has is the disappearance of Eric Franks, who went missing during March of 2011. But due to someone, Kendra, pretending to be Eric on his phone and on social media, Eric's family didn't file a police report until November of that year. Well, with Brandon Roberts, the situation is flipped. The person who used his phone admitted to not being Brandon and to not even knowing him. But was this a pretext to a text? And now a summary of the case. This disappearance is not on the Charlie Project or NamUs. The early years for Brandon Roberts were not an indication of where he'd be going. Like his younger siblings, he was smart conscientious, and made the honor roll many times. Then things changed. Brandon started hanging out with the wrong crowd, and drugs became a part of his life. This continuing on and off until his disappearance 20 years later. In that time, though, Brandon became the father of three and moved from Ohio to Oregon, where he helped the homeless. However, He also saw his father die due to an accident in which Brandon blamed himself. So, on June 7th, 2021, Brandon had scheduled to talk to his son, Seth. That morning, Brandon spoke to his mother, her hearing his voice, about the call that would be happening within hours. He was excited about it, 
they had not talked since the year before. Yet, when the time came that afternoon, Brandon did not respond to texts from his son or mother. Eventually, somebody, a person who is still unknown, texted back later that afternoon saying that a woman had given this phone to the texter in trade for 20 bucks. This texter knew nothing about Brandon or where he could be. Brandon was never seen again. This is the one and only time the person responded using Brandon's phone. The gender of this person is not even known, and seemingly, the phone never got turned in to the police. Illegal drugs and the frivolous use of legal ones ruin lives. We hear it over and over on Unfound. Although not the number one cause of disappearances, they contribute too much to the way too high number of disappearances. Think about that as you try to answer these three questions during the interview. Number one, was Brandon really losing all those phones or was it something else? Number two, could the first time Brandon went missing have been a test run for this time? And number three, should we believe the texter's story from that day, June 7th of 2021? Brandon's family is still hopeful that he is alive out there somewhere. The guest for this episode is Brandon's mother, Leah Roberts. Unfound News. The next Unfound Now will be coming out February 6th. But if you're a YouTube channel member, then you already have access to that video in which I analyze a recent disappearance out of Wisconsin. So please consider becoming a member on the channel. Next, I had another fantastic meeting with two of my assistants this past Saturday. This is going to be a monthly thing where we go over what is happening with the podcast and everything attached to it. Already these meetings are causing positive change. Finally, I hope many of you have checked out Unfound Live, which is now its own podcast. Trust me, it's on the platform you're using right now. This week, I talked about a bunch of interesting topics, including the Chicago Tylenol murders. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the mother of Brandon Roberts, Leah Roberts. Leah, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Let's start here. Let's just talk about uh, your family. How many kids uh, do you have? Where did everybody grow up? Um, you know, what? how would you describe uh, the Roberts family, maybe going back to when Brandon was a youngster, a teenager? Um, I would describe it as a normal functioning family, very happy, uh, a normal what kind of family I would ever want to have. I've had three children, uh, Brandon being the oldest, and my youngest is 12 years younger than him. But the other, yeah, then I have another boy, Ryan, and uh, very normal. I've always heard from people how lucky we were. Mm -hmm. So, very normal. Um, Went to one school, Claremont Northeastern and Ohio here. 
outside of Cincinnati. He did very well in school um, until he hit the high school. He was on the honor roll. Uh, A's, very, very smart. Mm -hmm. It came natural. Uh, how would you describe Brandon, maybe just to talk about all of your three children, uh, all very close, all very similar, all very different. Uh, Brandon is the oldest. Um, how, how would you describe you know, them all together, getting along, growing up? Okay. When they were younger, they were very close, very, very close. And as they got older, uh he and his brothers, of course, would get into fights. Brandon, I, you know, I, 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 he had a room in the basement, and actually, he, I would be working, and he would be watching the other two when they got home from school or whatever. And not, of course, not Lindsay, because I didn't have him watch her because he was at that age then when I didn't trust him. So they were close. Very close, and I was looking back through pictures and how close they were at a very young age. As things got, as they got older, and Brandon was taking things from his brother and blah blah blah, doing things to the family that was getting us all upset because he was getting into drugs. He was started mm. out smoking pot. Uh, later, I was finding things in his room. And I knew he was on drugs, so I took this door off and where I could see him at all times. But it became just a struggle with everything yeah. we went through with him. He was in and out of uh, rehabs, um, skipping school. Mm -hmm. And thought he was such a student, was a very good son, but it seemed to change like over a few months, just a couple months to just a whole different attitude, okay. not himself. Okay. But they grew apart and yep. now they don't have any, he's burned bridges with so many people because of his drug use. Okay. Uh, uh, I am, an, am I then to understand that your two other children did not run into those same problems that Brandon did? No, absolutely not. No. Okay. Definitely. Okay. Um, you know, because once again, this is a disappearance, uh, of course, podcast. That's what we do. But of course, as you would imagine, Leah, drugs do come up quite a bit. Not all the time, but a lot. And so this is kind of also a podcast about, uh, you know, addiction and how do people get into this. And of course, we talked about people who have, you know, got, you know, gone to rehab and recovered from their addiction. But the way you see it as the mother, as the mother of three children, two, avoiding it, and Brandon not avoiding it, can you look back at something there and point out what the difference might have been? I think the difference is his brother was very athletic and fit in, had so many friends. Brandon did not seem to, he was kind of a loner in high school. Mm -hmm. He had friends, but he, I think, turned to the drugs because of the people that accepted him they truly accepted him and became really good friends and that he thought was good friends but they were not good friends he thought at first they were but that's when he started getting into the heroin wow. and 
I'd say it had a lot to do with who he was hanging with, because he hung with a totally different crowd at the beginning, you know, when he was younger. When he got into high school, he definitely fit in there with the drugs and the people who did that. In school, thought drugs were more important. Most of his friends had died already. I mean, a while back even. Wow. Um, from heroin. There might be one still alive. Okay. But most, most of them are gone. Same school, everything. I thought it was a school, but I know it's everywhere. But it is, it is. <laughs> now, uh, now, of course, you're you know, You said your youngest, uh, twelve years younger than Brandon. Did you say? Uh huh. Yes, my daughter. And how much younger was uh, Brandon's other brother? He was five years. Well, four and a half years. Four and a half years. So even that. Uh, if this started happening in high school, Brandon's 17, and your other brother's 12 or 13. I mean, what's what's a younger brother to do at that age? You know, he can't, you know, the, even if everybody was not doing drugs, a 17-year-old can't relate to a 12 or 13-year-old and vice versa anyway. I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. And you said this, you know, the way you perceived it at the time was that it just, happened over a course of a few months. It wasn't like a two-year change. It was like a four-month change. Yes. I started noticing changes in him. Okay. Added, he was seems to be like angry a lot, uh, would lose his temper a lot, lied, and then he started stealing from his brother, even got in his sister's bank, her you know, piggy bank, we called it at the time, and took mm. money. And they didn't feel that they could have anything without him going to steal it. Wow. Or drug. Okay. And his friends would have. I had even made a police report before because of his brother missing things. Okay. And when he did, well, I would call the police. I'd be at work, leave, and meet the police at the house. Because I felt he was in danger because of the drugs. I didn't want to go in there by myself. All right. Okay. Thank you for being very uh, uh, upfront on that, uh, Leah. I, I realize it's not easy to talk about, and I appreciate that. Um, so this, of course, started, you know, teenage years, as it usually does for most people who get in. You know, my perception is that if people, you know, I don't have any kids, but the way I look at a people who I knew around my age who eventually went that direction. It did seem to start in those teen years. And if you can avoid that, you know, in your teen years, it seems like the likelihood of somebody becoming an addict or getting into any hard drugs really, really drops. That's my perception. But, um, you know, what happened then when he got into his 20s? Uh, of course, I, you know, did he try rehab? What were, what were those things? What was he doing? Okay, after all the other rehabs, uh, I even had him in the hospital down in Cincinnati. He, when he, well, actually, he was 19 when his son, Seth, was born. And he was going to all straighten up and everything. So I thought, well, okay, maybe, well, he did not. He still was using. Mm -hmm. Okay. And did the mother of this child have the same problems that Brandon did? 
I don't think to the extent. She tells me she never did do heroin. Okay. Well, I hang with someone for that long. I don't know. I know she did pain pillows or something that she would take for her from her stepmom. Okay. All right. So he yeah, has a child. Uh, when he was how old? How old was Brandon? Nine. Brandon now is uh, thirty nine. Thirty nine. Oh my gosh. Yes. See, it's been going on a long time. We kind of got used to it. Yeah. And the other ones are just kind of. I don't even want to hear it. It's Brandon, but they do realize he's been gone for a long time. And they worry more about me, I think, than they do him, just because they're just all the hurt from everything he's done. To everyone, the whole family. I mean, through a lot, a whole lot. Right. So, what uh, what can you describe about Brandon's twenties? Uh, he has a son when he is nineteen. And what does he do with his twenties? Is he able to hold down a job? Where is he living? Uh, does he have continue to have a relationship with this particular woman? What goes on when he gets into his 20s? They got married after they had Seth, had two more children. Um, he worked here and there, always was a very good worker. Everyone liked him, but he took it as a game sometimes because of the drugs. He'd get in trouble at work, Rosa's, pizza places, he would just get in trouble. Because of the use of that. And he didn't work all that much. He was home at the apartment. They had, I guess, a low-income apartment. And the three children, and he'd work here and there. And they were trying to make it work. And I was just hoping one day that he would just straighten up. But I don't think he matured mental-wise, because of the drug use starting so early. I think he just was more like a teenager, young teenager, rather than in his 20s because of the drug use. He just didn't, his brain wasn't maturing. He, or his brain was not maturing. So, he didn't have the goals or ambitions. That was mainly it, was hanging with friends and getting high. And I know he loved his children, but the drugs got in the way. Okay. On on the topic of his mental state, um, you know, we had talked about uh, in at least one previous conversation that that he might have had also some by maybe bipolar issues, depression issues, schizophrenia issues. Do you think that? Is that something that was connected to the drug use, or was that something independent of the drug use? So, you know, we talked about maybe paranoia. We're going to, of course, talk about him going to Portland, Oregon, eventually from Ohio. You know, how do you connect that into into his drug use? Um, well, the mental... I do believe he does have it. And I couldn't tell at the time. And when I would have him at the hospital to try to figure that out, they said, we can't, it's hard to diagnose until he is clean. And he would go to sleep at night with scissors or 
a knife under his pillow. I would find that. And I was like, what are you doing? Or a hammer. Like, why do you think you need this? You know, and oh, no, he tried to blow with a oh, just safety. And I then thought, well, maybe something's not right there for him to do that. Or he always carried a knife. And that may have been some times there that it was mental, but he was also still doing drugs. Now, before the drugs, I did not notice anything. Mm -hmm. He always had good reports. Well, sorry, we had to bring you out, Mrs. Roberts. You know, your son is just like, he's great. He's doing great. Loves history. He loved history in school. Well, he could tell you anything about that. Don't get started on history because... Would not. Huh. It would not. And he was into going to church and all that. He's read the Bible three times. My dad was amazed how he could tell my dad be talking about something, not thinking Brandon knew, and he would Brandon would join in and tell him more about it. Hmm. He was like that. Um and very kind. I mean, especially if he was sober after he got out of the rehabs, he could be like my, I loved him. He was fun. He was a lot mm-hmm. of fun to hang out with. We'd laugh and just go places and we'd have a good time. Until he was on drugs, of course. What would you say when you were around him before he went to Oregon? How long, what was the longest he was able to stay away after a rehab stint, let's say? Uh, how long was he able to stay away from drugs before he started doing them again? Um, two months. He was living here with us. I was checking his room regularly. He was not doing drugs. And I tried to keep him busy, but I was working at the time. And uh, he was here by himself in Branding. He can get bored. He got, and well, with a couple friends. And I always thought Jesse, one of his friends, was a good guy and everything. And I thought, well, hang with, you know, do something with him. He goes, I don't know, Mom. I don't think I should be around him. And I thought, well, okay. Well, he eventually started going around him. And he got back into it again. We also talked about, and um, we have to move on to this. Of course, we talked a lot about a lot of painful stuff already in this interview, but let's move on to this. Um, There was an accident that happened regarding his father that uh, certainly, of course, could not have helped Brandon either. What exactly happened? He went to his father's house and wanted him to go to a bar down the street from his dad's. and they went there kind of regularly. His dad would even work there. Sometimes on the side, he would work there. You know, we were separated, and he would go in there and work at the bar. Well, anyway, they went to the bar. The lady at the bar was giving him their shots that they liked to do. They did like 15, I think it's called Jägermeister. Yeah, Jägermeister. Mm-hmm. They shots of that. His dad was had some issues with his health due to his drinking, and he had 
some high blood pressure and some things like that. But he and Brandon had gotten an argument over one of Brandon's friends that one of his first friends that he tried to fit in with that died from heroin. And Brandon was trying to do a toast to Bo and they got in an argument, which proceeded on their way home to continue to argue in the car, got out of the car and got into a shoving match and his dad fell or went down. There was like a railroad tie on the uh, driveway is what I was told. And he fell on that and Brandon said, he, I thought he was fine. We got him inside. He also fell in a puddle. We changed his clothes. Uh, they didn't call for help then. But there was three calls that went in. And if they weren't have been hung up on, his dad could have possibly survived because he bled out from a spleen. Oh, my God. From his, I know. And I was living at my house, and I get a call from Brandon. We're telling me dad's dead, and he's hysterical, just crying. And I go pick him up, and we go to the hospital. Well, he had done past the time I got to the hospital with him, and that was it. Brandon blamed himself. Yeah. Uh, at first, especially. Later, I tried to tell him, you know, it's not your fault. That is your father, and he chose the drink too. He chose to, under the influence, to fight with you. You did not mean to kill him. A horrible accident happened. And the funeral came. He did not go to the funeral because he was afraid the Robert side would basically kill him because they were blaming him at the time. Okay. What year did this happen? This happened uh, 2012 in December. It was Christmas Eve. Oh, my goodness. They don't... There took a while for them to think about Christmas Eve, even my daughter. My daughter's had problems, and she's even talking with a therapist now, which I tried to get her to do at the time. She would not do it. She did not like the way her dad was and his drinking, and when I left him, she, it was one of her things she wanted to do, because the family changed. It changed from us all being normal and doing well. I mean, just your normal family, people would look at us as a very well-functioning family to, I didn't know when her, the dad was coming home. So anyway, Lindsay did not think much of her dad when he died, but that's probably why she's going through therapy now is because her last words to him was, I never want to talk to you again. Okay. So, All right. And, yeah. you, and your opinion is that Brandon never forgave himself for what happened there. I don't think so. I think he's gone to church, asked for forgiveness, and I know he's asked for forgiveness a lot, but yeah, he did not like, I think he did blame himself. Liz, yeah, it might not have happened then, it might have happened another time due to his dad's lifestyle, but it was him. It was in his hands. 
he was never convicted of anything. I don't even think they even really talked to him much besides, you know, what happened. I don't think law enforcement were blaming him or any of that, but the family, his dad's family. Yeah. Did. When was it after this? So this is 2012, Christmas Eve 2012. How long was it after that that he decided to leave um, uh, the Cincinnati area or uh, Ohio area and move to Oregon? And why did he pick that state? What was what do you think was going through his mind when he decided to make this change? What year was it and why? It was 2019 or the end of 18. 2018 that summer uh well it was a surprise to me because he lived in kentucky i don't know where he was working then that was after he was asked to leave here well basically we kicked him out because i found heroin in his room um i kicked him out i'd had it and um he moved to kentucky was working over there was going to the gym, was doing very well, got into a church. He knows if he needs to do well, he'll get into a church. He needs to get better. That's where he goes for help. And he belonged to a gym. He showed me a picture of his apartment, which I, you know, looking at last night, I was thinking, why would you just all of a sudden leave that? Why? Well, after he's moved into his apartment, he messaged me, he's on a bus, he's showing me pictures of, like, where the bus was traveling, Wyoming, all that, on its way out. He told me the West Coast, he was going to go to the West Coast, and I'm like, why, why? Well, some girl told me that I was going to be killed, so I left. I'm like, Why? And uh, he's like, well, the girl knows she felt bad for me, so she told me that I needed to get out of here. So that's when he decided to go, he says, to the West Coast. He ended up in Seattle and then went down to Portland, thought it'd be a little warmer. But then he, that's all, mainly is in Portland. He got there and learned, you know, how to get around homeless, got a tent, everything, and knew where to go get food, nice food, three meals a day, very good. He showed me pictures. I'm like, oh, my gosh. And got his social security card, all of that, because he had lost all that again, and birth certificate. They helped him there. He became a citizen of Portland then, and he was doing good at first. Okay. Not because he was, he did tell me he could smoke a big fatty, you know, and all that. And he showed me a picture of that. And I was like, oh, because it was all legal there. He thought it was so cool. And then later he's telling me that he needed to get in some kind of union to get a job. So he had to quit smoking and all. And he went on a health check again at the gym, herbal teas, and that kind of stuff. He said he would help him not want to smoke. But he was just telling me people that he met. I was reading through notes. He had met these people. We were 
some Indian tribe. He he went to some kind of powwow, and I mean he was doing all kinds of things. But most people would be nervous going to a different state. He had planned. He was at a light show. He was here and there, and he acted like he was by himself. I don't know for a fact that he was, but he seemed to be. And he started going to AA meetings and helping with the homeless, and that's where he met Bex. Well, let's. Uh, that'd be probably a good time to talk about her. Um, just in general, we'll talk. Of course, we'll talk about her later after his disappearance. But um, how did they meet? Uh, were they a couple? Um, what can you say about her in general? What did Brandon? Of course, you never met her in person. So, what did he tell you about her? Um, that he was. She spoke at the women's shelter of homeless and her drug use and how she was getting out of it. And he looked up to her that way. He thought she, he was attracted to her, he said, for that. And they both worked with helping people, whether, you know, with the homeless. And he was on that side of the fence then. He was helping the homeless and with her. And going through rehab, and they were a couple. They were together. He would go over to her house, and um, they'd get together. Or he got a job at a restaurant, very nice. This is one of the best restaurants in Portland, where he worked, and he was making money and everything. They broke up. And he went back to drugs. Hmm. Okay. Now, within all of this, we have to understand something that before he actually went missing, and of course he is still missing, we're doing this interview on January 24th of 2023, he actually went missing before this. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners about this, the approximate amount of time, what year it was, the months, and, you know, what you were thinking at that time. When, when did this happen? This was 2019. This was, let me see, this was, this was September when I decided to look for him. Okay, so I hadn't heard from him. I think it was July of 2019, so it was like three months I hadn't heard from him. Mm-hmm. And worried. Of course. Um, and then I had a police report. Then, and then they were looking for him because he didn't show up at his job. It was um, not like him. Not to show up. So it boss was, oh, I have to find Brandon. He's my worker. He's a good worker. So went through all that. Had uh, posters and all the soup kitchens, everywhere that he went, posters up, nothing, didn't hear anything. Well, Bex found him. She went down in the area, which was around Burns, Burnside. She had heard that someone had around there. So she was there, and she saw it. And he went by the name Cincinnati, and she yelled, Brandon, and he turned around, and there she was. He went talked to her. She begged him to call me, and I needed a picture to see that he was alive, 
so they went and got in clean clothes and let him clean up a little bit and took a side view picture of that one side view picture um, to prove that he was alive. I'm be a picture of him. Mm-hmm. Well, after that, he started calling me after he was found. He was actually, he said, why well, he didn't call me and sorry, I've been busy with people, it's been fun camping. And I guess he had met friends then. So he gave, uh, you know, so I guess he never, did he ever give you an explicit explanation of why he was uh, out of contact for three months? He said he was busy at night. I guess they slept during the day and phone issues, of course. Mm-hmm. That's when I sent him another phone. I sent it to Bex's house. She ended up giving it to him. And I think she wanted to get back together with him at that time and Brandon did not give up his way. He wasn't calling her either regularly then. And she, I guess, got upset with him from her, what she told me. And, uh, boyfriend. So I figured I didn't bother, want to bother her anymore or, you know, because she wasn't Brandon's problem anymore. Mm. And during these, uh, you know, I have to to ask, so she was the one who actually went down there and found him. Uh, Had she gone looking for him before and not found him? Are you under the impression that she really had no idea where he was? I was under the impression she had no idea, even though Brandon told told me later that she she knew where I was. She was on the other side of the Burnside Bridge, and she, I don't know why. I didn't even address that to her. Okay. And the listeners should know, uh, regarding Facebook, there are actually posts going back to 2019 where you were looking for Brandon, right? Yes. And so if anybody is, uh, and of course, I, I hope everybody does, but I know many people, you know, I can't guarantee everybody, but I know a lot of people, you know, go back and, and look and do these things. You're going to actually find posts from 2019 when Brandon went missing the first time and was gone for three months. And then you will find where it's an also announced that he was found. And that's what we're talking about here with this woman, Bex, this young woman, Bex, um, uh-huh. finding him. But what we're of course talking about in the in for today for this episode is he went missing again. So he's found in and how would you say after he came back to civilization, keeping in contact with you and others, um, you know, how did uh you know what did he do until he went missing the next time? Lived homeless. He said he was in a homeless camp, he was helping the homeless again, he had to bring food that it could not get to their food and um, that's all he would say uh, he had a bike it would get stolen um, rode around and help people is what he would tell me and getting little side jobs here and there in construction okay. and funny we never did have a house. He was paying some child support. He could not afford, of course, Portland area is expensive. He could not afford an apartment there. So 
with his addictions and all that, he cannot, the way I looked at he couldn't, it was bound to happen because he was down there living with him for him to get back into the drugs again. Because mm-hmm. he lived, even, you know, you can't, how do you get up and go to work and, but you're around all that at night and all that stuff going on that he said he was busy with. Now, we have to remember, we only talked about his one son, Seth, but he does have other children, right? He does. He has a daughter and another son. Okay. All in Ohio? Or can... All in Ohio. All in Ohio. Okay. Yeah, they have not since left here. Okay. So, he comes back. Uh, after this being missing for three months, uh, this woman goes out and finds him. Very nice of her to do that. Comes back to reality. What kind of uh, relationship would you say, as best as you can tell, he and Bex had from the time he came, she found him until he went missing the next time, which was, uh, the, of course, it seems the last time, in June of 2021. What would you say went on between those two in the meantime? In the meantime, I think she was trying to help him. I think she felt bad. It was the way I took it then. And with haircuts, whatever, and trying to clean him up. But I think he liked, he may have liked the life he was in. Right. Unless the two get together, he did tell her that she's the only one that could get him off all that. Okay. So let's move up to, uh, just before we started this interview, uh, you went back and che- absolutely checked for sure. The, the disappearance date for Brandon is June 7th of 2021. Why don't you tell everybody about the day? Uh, it started out in the morning. You spoke to Brandon. Uh, he was going to be talking to his son, Seth, later. Why don't you talk about that? Okay. Well, he called me that morning. I did not make it to the phone. I got a message saying, this is Brandon. This is my number. I messaged him back, call me. Please call me. And he said, okay, I will. So he ended up calling me. And I told him about Seth wanting to get in contact with him. And I was going to give Seth his phone number. And I was going to make sure that it was okay with Seth to give his phone number also. You know, exchange the phone numbers. Well, in that amount of time, by the evening... Seth must have messaged that number also, and I messaged it, Brandon, where are you? Why haven't, you know, why haven't you uh, called? Because I tried to keep, I I kept trying to call. No one did answer me. Someone did end up messaging me that Mm -hmm. message, which was a man saying that some lady had given him that phone as collateral because she was in the Portland area, I guess, not really from there, but ran out of gas, needed 20 bucks, wanted to give him that phone for collateral for the $20 and said, I'm going to go to my dad's. I'm going to get $20. I will meet back up with you here later. And apparently she never came back is what the text said. And he more or less said that if you gave him the phone, was more or less making him take the phone because she was wanting rid of it. 
All right, let's let's uh, let's go through this again. You did that very uh, efficiently. I just want to go through this a little slower. So what time in the morning? Of course, we know you're in Eastern time, Eastern Pacific time. What time would you say Eastern time did you speak to him that morning approximately? Uh, approximately 10-ish, 11. All right, let's just say it was uh, 11 a.m. Eastern time, so that's 8 a.m. Portland time. And when you spoke to... Brandon, did you get any kind of feel of where he was? Was he in a building? Was he out on the street? Could you hear anybody in the background? Anything like that? I got the feel that he was out on the street. Okay. He had to have been somewhere for Wi-Fi to be able to connect. Yeah, I'm going to talk through Wi-Fi calling, which is exactly what I have to use in my condo building here because I don't get any reception here. So I know I'm very familiar with that. Very good. Um, did you, um, did he and Seth agree on a time? Was it just like, call me in the afternoon? Did they, did they have a specific time like 4 p.m. Eastern or 6 p.m. Eastern that they were supposed to talk? No. Seth did try to message him, got nothing back. Mm -hmm. And until finally that person, when I kept messaging and calling said, you know, how he got the phone. Okay. Let me let me ask you this, Leah. How many hours do you think it was after 11 a.m. Eastern time that you and Steph, I guess, were trying to contact Brandon and he wasn't getting back to you? How long was it after that that these, this, these non-responses were happening? It was about, we tried about an hour after, I think, Seth, I, I talked to Seth and he goes, oh, yeah, sure. So I gave him the, a message, ran the phone number of Seth mm-hmm. and said, but yes, call him. No, no response. So that was about two hours. But mm-hmm. I, it could have been sooner. I tried to before that. It's okay. about two hours. Then back, yes, that's going to call you. Here's his number, too. And I gave I, I gave him Seth's number and Amanda's number, which is the mother, is Brandon's ex-wife. I gave him both phone numbers, mm-hmm. still nothing. No response. Hey, I got the number. Thanks, Mom. Nothing, which I expected him to do because he seemed very excited that Brandon, uh, that Seth would want to talk to him. All right. And I should ask, how old was Seth have been? Uh, of course, his disappearance is not quite two years old now. Uh, how old was Seth uh, in June of 2021? Uh, he was 17. Okay. Thank you. Um... So approximately two hours later, after 11 a.m. Eastern Time, at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, you start texting. You're not getting any response. Seth isn't getting any response. When was it that somebody, this person, and I do have a, you know, the listeners should know uh, that Leah did send me um, a screenshot of this text uh, that I will be, uh, you know, that everybody will be able to see so they can see exactly the wording that this person used. But when was it eventually Eastern time that this person got back to you and gave you the story about just being given this phone that Brandon had been using earlier? How long, how long was it later? Here at this time, I'd say five or six. Okay. I have to look at the message. I think it says on there on the message. Um, I'm remembering it was in the evening. Okay. 
All right, so let's just say six hours later. We'll just we don't. I don't know how exact we have to be on this, but we just need to know that even just a couple hours later, Brandon wasn't getting back to either of you, and then it was several hours later, five six hours later, that this person finally responded and said, "Yeah, I was given this phone by some woman, and I exchanged her twenty bucks for it." Right. Okay. He should have done it without the twenty bucks, but she insisted. You know, she could have kept her phone and take the 20 bucks and then come. And he, I, he, this is how I got it was she insisted that he take the phone. Okay. Now, you and I, before this interview started, uh, I had asked you, had this ever happened before? And you said it had. Actually, some other time you had tried contacting Brandon and it ended up somebody else had his phone. Is that true? Yes. Huh. And was it ever clear to you who this other person was who eventually had the phone? Did she ever give her name or he give his name? Anything like that? No. No. Okay. She just said, girl, I'm not who you think you're messaging. And I just thought, okay, he got another phone. Okay. And so that, that prior instant incident has was never resolved. You never really did know who had the phone, for example, Brandon never told you, oh yeah, this other person had my phone, anything like that? All he said is, you know, he would tell me they got stolen. Okay. His stolen. If he'd go to sleep, you know, he said nothing was, a, you know, people would just come and take his, whatever. There was nothing that was yours. Okay. What did you do after you got this particular text? Uh, did it automatically strike you that something was wrong, or was it? Were you thinking Brandon just being Brandon again, losing a phone, and I'll hear from him like tomorrow? How did you react to this on that Saturday evening? No. Was exactly it. Brandon being Brandon, he will message me back because you know he wanted to talk to Seth, and he'll just get back with me. Is how I thought. At first, I guess it was a day or two. I did message. I saw on my messenger that, that I did message, you know, Bex if she had heard from him or seen him, and she said no. I was wanting to get. She was wanting to get a hold of him to help her move, and she said I will let him stay with me until he got back on his feet. If he wanted, if he would just help me move, she said I was trying to get a hold of him and can get a hold of him. So, later, yeah, she was also trying. Okay. So not only was he out of contact with you and his son, he was out of contact with this woman, Bex, who he knew, as well as anybody out there. And so, what did you do over the next few days? I mean, when did it start worrying you that, did you start thinking, well, is Brandon, did Brandon go missing again? When did that start to strike you? Pretty much a couple of days after that, after I found out Bex didn't hear from him or anything, and I, I was worried. Yeah, I was cool. worried. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Okay. Well, at one point, at what point? Yeah. Excuse me. Go ahead, please. I was just figuring. Okay, he's going to end up calling me eventually. Well, his birthday would come. Christmas would come. His son graduated from high school. 
onto surgical tech. And he was proud about that because Seth got accepted into college to go to first, you know, he wanted to go into surgical tech and nothing. I would have thought he would have messaged us then. Yes, very worried. Yeah. But just, just being himself. Also, in the back of my mind, I was thinking he was being selfish and not sure I wanted to go through everything we went through last time looking for him. And we were, I was a mess. Um, I was actually going to go out to Portland. One of my cousins had got a hold of the news media, and we were supposed to go out there. And she finds it. Mm-hmm. The first time. <laughs> yeah, the first time. This is just way too long for him not to have no contact. If he's alive, I know he's not doing well at all. And maybe she don't know who he is. Uh, mm. I called the hospital. Gales everywhere. Nothing. I looked in the unidentified bodies. I had called them. Nothing matching. This is all in the Portland area, though. And I called every place he had mentioned to me before that he had been. The pantry, please. Uh the homeless shelters, Burnside, where he would go and eat. Uh, Sisters of something, he would go and eat too. He liked going there. That helped the homeless in the Portland area. When did you contact the police to let them know, or maybe it was you, maybe it was Bex that did it, who was officially filed a police report regarding him being missing and... Uh, how long did it take to do that? Well, I had called the police department, and they had told me Brandon is a citizen of Portland. And it wasn't like the last time where he didn't show up to a job. It was, yeah, and I knew he had, you know, disappeared before, and they couldn't really do anything. Then they suggested that I call all these other places, so I did, and that led to nothing uh, the jails, the hospitals, I called, like I just said, um, homeless shelters. And, of course, a lot of those places where he would go and eat, uh, the, the Blanchett House, St. Francis, Dineries Hall. Oh, and that was the sisters, uh, that was the sisters of the road. He would go there. I left messages there. Some of them returned them. Uh, and said that if they seen him, they would let me know. They didn't act like they knew who he was. One lady at the Blanchett house that he did look familiar, and she would give him, you know, notice if she's seen him, but he hadn't been in there for a long time. And that, of course, was, when did I do that? That was in September when I was making all these calls. So that was September of what year? September of what year? 22. 22. Okay, thank you. Yeah, looking again desperately. Oh, sent them pictures, um, everything. I was also explained that they can't, they can give him the message, but they can't, that's his privacy. If you don't want to be found, you know, they can't do anything. 
But the lady from the from the Blanchard House said, you know, I feel really bad. She said, in this case, I will uh, email you. Yes, he's alive or not. She said, I'm not supposed to do that, but I will. I've not heard from anything from her. Nothing. Okay. Now, we have to understand uh, something regarding, uh, for the listeners, uh, that, of course, Brandon uh, went missing. The, uh, we're going to establish the missing person's date as being June 7th of 2021. But uh, Brandon is not on NamUs, for example. Uh, the national uh, database, it's run by the federal government, part of the Justice Department. Uh, he's not on there. Is there any particular reason regarding that? And I also have to ask in the same uh, same question, has your DNA ever been taken uh, yet for all of this? Not, not yet. And I don't, I had called them. I guess they did not put him on there as something I'm sure that needs to be done. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just thought making those calls that they had his name and, you know, they didn't officially say, yeah, they were putting him on there, mm-hmm. but they didn't. Okay. But most importantly, you're, you know, I think we maybe just take for granted for all the other disappearances we cover on and found that at some point, uh, you know, a relative, uh, certainly if it can be a, a mother or father, it's probably... The best, but siblings, of course, can you know give a DNA as well. But your DNA or anybody else in your family is not their DNA has not been given yet, right? Correct. Okay. I do it, and Ryan is going to do it. Okay. Now, something else about Oregon uh, that we talked about. So this is very important. So if anybody's looking for Brandon on Namus, you're not going to find him on there yet. Uh, I'm hoping, of course, that happens very soon. I also, of course, hope, Leah, that you get your DNA taken very soon. I, of course, want Brandon to be found alive, but these are things you just have to do. Um, But also regarding the police and Brandon out there, you discovered that he had no criminal record out there. No. Not that he's not been in jail. Nothing. Mm -hmm. There is no... Besides the last time he went missing. Nothing. Okay. So he was, uh, for example, he was not known to police, even though he was homeless. Um, nothing like breaking or stealing, breaking into anywhere, stealing anything. No records of him ever doing anything like that while he was in Portland. No, no okay. record. All right, very good. Let's move on to some other things. Uh, something that you think you know could be important to this. You'd sent me a picture uh, of this, what I would call an old guy picture. Uh, why don't you explain why you know this could be an importance to Brandon's disappearance? Uh, obviously, you think it's important. Why don't you tell the listeners why you think so? Because that's who he had met when he first got to Portland. He said he had met this dude, this old guy, that gave him mushrooms, showed him how to find mushrooms because they could cure cancer. And he lived in the lived in the mountains, is what Brandon told me. He had lived there since two thousand three. Uh, he would give Brandon a tent, his any gear, traveling gear. Uh, 
gear for camping and just show him how to live. Homeless is what he told me about this guy. I just thought, you know, then Brandon had a hat on like his, or if it wasn't that hat, and a cross on in the next picture, just like the man had. And he also had a picture uh, cane or whatever the man cart that was in the picture in his picture but I did not see the guy so I'm assuming he was still the guy was still around there but it looked like he was in the bathroom taking screenshots of him in the hat and him with the uh, cane okay and he caught to the guy from what I got because he was helping the man was helping him Okay. Did you ever get this guy's name? Is everybody, anybody like Bex or anybody able to been able to track this guy down? Maybe he knows where Brandon is or is he just, uh, not, he can't be found either. Not necessarily saying he's missing, but nobody knows who he is or where to find him. Um, no, I did not find out who this man was. Okay. And so, uh, what is your then thinking regarding this particular man that, that he might have, uh, you know, that Brandon might have gone with him or, or what? What is your thinking given that you think this guy's important? I'm thinking he might know something okay. about Brandon. Uh, if Brandon decided to go to the woods, that maybe he would contact him because he knew he helped him with a tent and the necessities that he needed. But still, he, that man, from what I'm assuming, was in the Portland area. Yeah. And it seems would go to the kitchens to eat or something if he was still in that area. Right. Right. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, let's move on to this. Um, the phone. Let's go back to this phone. Of course, uh, we know that. Um, Brandon and Seth were supposed to be talking that Saturday. Maybe I should ask you this. When was the last time before that that Brandon and Seth had spoken to each other? When uh, Brandon had called him on a birthday one time. I think it was Seth's 16th birthday. And the time changed. He woke Seth up and Seth told him off. We're calling him at that time. And that was it. That was on Seth's birthday. That was his 16th birthday. So that would have been the year before then, in 2020. Right. Okay. And not speaking. Okay. And so this was, so I guess we could say that they were going to talk on this Saturday, June 7th. This was kind of going to be a big deal then. They hadn't spoken to each other in a while. Right. And that's how mm. I guess Brandon, he was excited, you know, to know that he would want to talk to him. The way you understand it, who is the instigator of wanting to talk to who? Did Seth want to talk to Brandon? Did she bring it up the idea up first, or did Brandon bring the idea up first? Seth brought it up. Seth brought it up. Okay. Regarding this phone then, so in the morning, you talk to Brandon. They're going to talk later. Of course, this doesn't happen. A couple hours later, you're trying to contact him, text him. Brandon's not responding. Seth is doing the same. Eventually, this person texts you back, and in fact, I, you know, it's inter interesting in the message he called you mama, 
which is a very, very, very familiar, you know, um, way to refer to somebody, a, a woman you don't know. But anyway, right. um, did this person ever, when this person, do you think that this person understood that the phone, uh, you know, was supposed to be in somebody else's hands? Did this person ever turn the phone in? Did you ever co try to contact that phone again to get a response? Anything like that? No, I did not try to contact the phone again. Uh, no, I, as far as I know, the phone was never turned in. I never heard anything else back about it. And it was another phone taken or whatever. And no, I did not try to do that again. I, I think why you call, yeah, why called me mama, I guess, because of the previous text where I was looking for him. Mm -hmm. I mentioned I was his. So, right. and no, I, I did not. Okay. Uh, so this phone was never turned in. The person has never identified himself or herself. Uh, we really, being that it's a text, we really don't know if this person was a man or a woman. Um, all we know is the stories that a woman gave this person a phone, and it's for twenty bucks. I don't know if we're supposed to believe that or not. But as you've already stated many times in this interview, it was very common for Brandon to lose his phones or have them stolen. Right. Okay. That's what I just. Did again and get one and call as best as you can remember from the time that brandon went to oregon to the time he went missing how many different phones do you think he used five wow okay so i mean i've got so many um saved on my phone so many yeah. different numbers Right. And of course you got the idea from this person who texted you back that this person did not know Brandon at all, correct? Uh, that's what I got from that, yes. Okay. And that, you know, he didn't give me any information. Okay. What did Bex have to say about all this? Was uh, Of course, she found Brandon the first time around. Uh, did she try to look for Brandon again? Did you two talk about Brandon's disappearance? How did she react to it? What did she have to say after June 7th of 2021? Uh, how early did you alert her that something wasn't right? You know, let's talk about Bex and your communication in 2021 after this. Okay, it was about two days later. I had messaged her, uh, you know, have you heard anything from Brandon? Do you know where he could be or anything? Well, she did not. And through another text later, she mentioned she was going to look for him and I said well you better be careful and that's when she proceeded to tell me that he could live with her that she wanted to find him to help her move and that he could live with her to get a beat and I said well if you do you better be careful or because that those areas are not good I'd hate for something to happen to you yeah. because I'm worried about and it being my fault that somehow you were looking for him. Okay. You can't go down the island. There he is, a girl, and be safe in those areas. Did she have any ideas? Any ins Of course, you told her what happened. Did she have any insight to any of this about how he was supposed to talk to Seth, and then the phone ended up 
seemingly in somebody else's hands. Um, did she have any insight into any of that? Did she know where Brandon yeah. was supposed to be that June 7th? Anything? No, she did not know where he was or supposed to be. Because, and uh, I did tell her about the phone and what happened. And that was it. I mean, I guess we just figured that someone stole his phone. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why down in that amount of time and for someone to steal it. Right. And she is... I don't know. She seemed worried. Well, later I was going to message her and I saw she had a boyfriend. So I thought, okay, she's moved on. I do not want to bother her or put her in these situations of looking for him. I was very appreciative that she found him last time, but I just assumed she moved on. So I did not message her again until recently and in September when I was trying to find him. Because I hadn't heard anything, his birthday mm-hmm. come and gone, nothing. Mm-hmm. And she knows he doesn't respond to anything, which before she seemed very concerned also. And she knows I want to talk to her because I did speak with her mother. I found on Facebook her phone number. Mm-hmm. And um, so she has to know, but still no contact, nothing. Okay. Her mother... It might go on too far. Her mother was like, Bex can't keep a phone either. Mm-hmm. And Bex is having a really, she doesn't have a phone. Okay. Which still makes sense. Okay. Uh, so your impression then, unlike the first time where Bex was actually out there looking for Brandon, your impression is this time around she did not do that. Right. She did not. Okay. Not a responsibility. It's, you know, he's a grown man. They're not in a relationship anymore. Uh-huh. You know, uh, you know, she's not responsible for him. It would be nice, but, I mean, how much work is she really supposed to put? You know, I know it sounds to me like she has her own issues going on, too. But, you know, how, how much is she, she supposed to do? You know. Exactly. So. That's how I looked at it. I did not want to bother her, knowing that she had a boyfriend I saw, because I was friends with her on Facebook. She had pictures of, of her and somebody else she was dating, and I thought, okay, well, you know, she's moved on. Recently, when I looked at her Facebook, trying to get a hold of her, those pictures are gone of her and anybody else. The only picture she has on there is Brandon, which she did not have Brandon on there before. And she's got pictures of me on her Facebook, if you look at her photos, um, ones that I had on Facebook, I guess she copied and saved. Like when I got engaged, my ring, I, a few pictures of me and Dave, and just certain pictures she saved off my Facebook, which I thought was kind of odd for her to do. Meaning that, yeah, that she moved on. Because those weren't there before when... I first thought of him saying he was not on her Facebook anymore. So I thought, well, yeah, she took all that down because, yeah, she's moved on. And when I saw those pictures again recently on there, I thought that was a little odd. Okay. And uh, that was not on there anymore. Moving on to this. Uh, 
We have to remember that Brandon left the Ohio Kentucky area because, as you stated, you know, so you know, thought somebody was after him. I don't know if that was true or not. Is it possible that Brandon could have had just moved out of the Oregon area and went somewhere else? Anything's possible with him, yes. Mm-hmm. He did mention in some of the text uh, messages, or on Messenger, he mentioned doing going the West Coast. He mentioned going to San Francisco, California, but he liked Portland. He think he, you know, he could make his home there. He really liked it there. Doesn't want anybody to find him because he's thinking somebody's after him. That is some kind of game that they had to find him and take him out. Is what he would tell me. Uh, and that's from the people he uh, one time would say his Aunt Karen was doing that, which is the sister of his deceased father, that she had somebody after him. He also thought the people in Oklahoma in that cult-like thing he got into when he went to Oklahoma was after him his whole way back. He, he was expressing to me that they were on, they were following him. They were following him. So... I wasn't sure if it was the drugs or real. I was worried to death. He did end up in the hospital in Tahlequah with injuries. I thought, well, somebody did get a hold of it. And he was scratched up. He said they put an upside-down cross on his arm, burn it on there, and they were going to actually burn him. And the cars pulled up, and we're all going to watch, and they're all chanting and everything. I thought, oh, my gosh. But I wasn't sure if it was real, if it was the drugs. And I, some of the times it seemed so real the way he was talking, I thought it was real. And he still stuck by it when he was in Portland. He said, Mom, you don't understand these people. It's a game to them. Called it something, what did he call that? He called it, they have to get their target. It's like a game. Until they get their target to commit suicide or kill them. That's what he had in his head. Okay. And he said, Mom, look it up. It's real. Did you look it up? I did. I, I tell you, it was a while back when I looked it up. I saw that text again last night. Uh, I, I, it's about a, Yeah, it's about, there is a game that they do that. Um. Oh, I was just so unsure to believe it. Mm-hmm. The drugs, because he's also told me when he was in Portland, after he continued to do, started drugs again, that why is Aunt Carrie here? Why is she here? And I'm like, Aunt Carrie is not there, which is my sister that lives in Oklahoma. Yes, she is, Mom. I seen her. She looked light in my eyes. We both look right at each other. That is Aunt Karen. Why is she, I mean, uh, Carrie. Why is she here? So I thought, Carrie wasn't never there. He's hallucinating. Wow. What was this? Uh, what was this cult that he was involved in in Oklahoma? What, did, what was it called? I do not know what it was called. Okay. Some fish, maybe. Excuse me. Something fish. 
is what my sister said, that there is a guy there. He has a cult. Very dangerous. Brandon said he had met them. He was in the park because he got kicked out of my sister's too. And he was in the park in Tahlequah and he met this person. And he thought it was a religious, you know, they were helping him. We found out later they were not helping him. Mm-hmm. We said, uh, they took him on a ride and the guy starts cracking his knuckles saying, you know, he was going to kill somebody. But he felt like it. And Brandon started thinking, oh no. And he said, felt like he had to go to the bathroom. And he said he just bolted. And then that's where he says he was being chased and everything ends up in Tahlequah Hospital. My mother picks him up and then she, should we get him on a bus back here? I take him straight to rehab in Columbus. When he got here, I said, you, you know, that's the only way you're going to come here is the very next morning we are in the car and I'd already made, made arrangements for him to go. Okay. How hard has this all been since June 7th? Of course, it seems to me this has been hard for a very long time for you, Leah. Uh, Brandon, um, it seems like he's caused you a lot of strife for many, many years going back to his teenage years, but you know, how hard has the last not quite two years been, uh, you know, do you look back at even before the disappearance, even before the first disappearance and, you know, is there any way any of this could have been changed, you know, put, um, Brandon on a different trajectory, uh, you know, how, how do you look back at all this time and how hard has the last few, uh, you know, couple years been? It's been hard. Very hard. I, I have my the breaking down and that I've learned through the years to put it away. As it's, you know, I have my other children and I have grandchildren and I have this life that I have to go on with. And yep. I have to do my best at that because, you know, this is a happy life here. I mean, things are good. Um, very good. Wonderful. My two other children have, you know, children and they're, it's great. And I'm close with Brandon's uh, kids, my grandkids. They all come over Christmas. All of them are here. Um, so I've gone on with that. Um, Nobody seems to worry about him besides me, maybe his aunt and all that. They, I get a lot of people who back me up, and, you know, and feel bad, and they hope that they, but nobody's concerned as much as me to look for him. Right. You've, uh, have you ever gone to Oregon at all? No. Okay. Dave did say he would take this, you know, like I said, I, br- I break down and he catches me and uh, we'll help. He has a business and barely can get away. Yeah. Right. But those are the things I do. If I there's all these places I call them, they can well, what if he's not there and go there? And I don't know, maybe I can find answers somewhere. I don't know. Something, I'm sure. All right. 
you make a good point. Other uh, other mothers of missing adult children have made a similar point. Of course, if they have other children, is that you know if one is missing, yes, you have a little bit of a responsibility there, but you also have a responsibility to all of your children and grandchildren who are still around. And it's important exactly. to find that balance because you don't want your current children who are around to you know, have made great choices in their lives and everything to feel left out, to feel um, ignored while you go off searching for one of them. You know, the other one who isn't around, who was an adult and, and went missing. It's a very common sentiment. Uh, and, and I realize it's very difficult to try to find that fine line. It is. They've dealt with it so many years of their life. They're done with it. They don't want to deal with it. I mean, he's mm. dealing with Brandon. And, you know, it, it, I think it kind of tore our family apart. Growing, them growing up. And it just, that's how they look at it. It's, you know, he, they don't want anything. They don't want any more of that kind of around him. They right. don't want him around their kids. They, they just don't, you know, they right. don't want that anymore. Right, I guess maybe, what, maybe I'll say it. Uh, it's one of those things, If Brand, and of course, as everybody knows, I'm hoping every disappearance we've ever covered on Unfound, I hope the missing person is found alive. I don't care if the person uh, was an addict or had a long felony record. We've even covered the disappearance of well-known drug dealers and everyone else. I don't care. We cover all types of people. But I guess what we're saying here is that even if Brandon were being found, found alive today... You know, if he was still kind of the same person he was before he went missing, is that still your other children would have concerns about him being around, you know, coming back into their lives, you know, going to see them, going to live with them, anything like that, right? Right. Right. Okay. Um, he'd have to. And I don't know if he wants to be in Portland. I could help him with that. Uh, if he was found, I would try to get him mental help that he needs and addiction, his addictions, um, because he had so much to offer. I remember <coughs> him when he was my boy, best little boy ever, and then drugs. Yeah. Like, just, he goes off of them, and then feels like it's God and the devil fighting for his soul, and... Uh, yep. It's even harder. I agree yeah. with you. I agree. Yes, it, it exactly is the only way I can describe it because the more he harder he tries, it seems like it's harder for him. Things happen and harder for him to fight it. Yeah. Do you have a website? A, please, please go ahead. Please. He's not a bad person. A wonderful person. I'm sure all mothers say that. <laughs> um, um, he wouldn't hurt anybody. Um, he would help somebody. But um, okay, you, you were going to ask me if I have any websites. Yeah, I'll just I'll ask you again. Do you have a website or a Facebook page, anything like that, set up for Brandon's disappearance? Yes, I have him on. I haven't went on Portland missing people. And yeah. I know I was found by 
album. Uh, I have three different ones. Uh, one is the Facebook uh, Portland Homeless, Missing Portland, you know, Homeless on Facebook. I have him on there. Um, there's a man, Tom, somebody that does cover the homeless. I've got that on there. And I think yours, um, missing. Yes. I guess what I'm saying is you don't have a Facebook page specifically set up for Brandon's disappearance, like find Brandon Roberts, anything like that. No. Okay. You might want to think about doing that. Uh, I don't know how technologically advanced you are, but if you don't feel comfortable doing it, maybe somebody else who you know uh, does, but it probably would be a good idea. It certainly raises the profile even more regarding Brandon's disappearance. And if you could hook up with these other sites, like you've already mentioned, people missing in Portland or Oregon, that would certainly be helpful as well. Right. And it's... Actually, yeah, it's shown all over. Mm-hmm. People share it in different states. And so it is on there all over. But yeah, you often will come up. Um, to get your own site, like for him missing, isn't that kind of like his Facebook? Or No, you can just set up a page from scratch. Just call it Find Brandon Roberts in Portland, Oregon. And you can put pictures on there, just put the circumstances of its disappearance. And it's, it's kind of connected, you know, if you have your own personal Facebook page. Uh, it's kind of connected through that, but it's, it's fairly easy to do. Okay. Yeah, because I just posted on theirs, mm-hmm. on those sites, pictures. Well, that's helpful too. I mean, that's certainly great. That's excellent. But I will tell you, probably 99% of the disappearances I've covered, you know, they have their own Facebook page that only is concerned with that particular disappearance. So it's something to think about. Of course, you'd be the one that has to manage it or somebody you know well would have to manage it. So I'm not here to give people more work. But it's probably a good idea. Yeah. Yeah, I will do that. Leah, any final words before we complete this interview? Um... I can't think of any now, but I really appreciate your help or anyone's help to find answers. I really appreciate that. It's hard. It is. Back him up and to get help that he needs. Leah, I appreciate you being on this episode of Unfound. Thank you so much. I appreciate your help. You're very welcome. And that was my January 24th, 2023 interview with Leah Roberts, mother of Brandon Roberts. I thank her for appearing on this episode. And yes, I did tell Leah that she has the same name as the young woman who went missing from the state of Washington over 20 years ago. She has still not been found. For the record, there is no reason to believe Brandon is not still alive. He had his addiction for over 20 years, so it's possible he continues to survive with it 
but has gone somewhere else. Why would Brandon disappear on the very day he was supposed to talk to his son? The issue could have been stress. Maybe his paranoia kicked in. There could be a lot of reasons that have nothing to do with him not being alive. However, how much any of you are willing to believe Brandon is still alive will probably be based on how you break down that text from whomever that was. I'll read the text now if any of you have not seen the many postings of it. Hey mama, I did not get Seth's nor anyone else's number. Then again, I've absolutely no clue who anyone you or could be speaking on is. I accepted this phone as collateral covering $20 from a random woman downtown. Swore up and down she was not from the PDX Portland area and was stuck because her car ran out of gas. Was supposed to meet me after she got her car fueled and went to see her father to get the 20 That's the end of the text. That is the only communication Leah and Seth had with this person. This person has still not been identified. So what are the reasons to believe this message? Well, first, the story is just crazy enough to be true. Second, the person didn't have to reply at all. Thus, replying lends credibility. Third, the person who typed it spelled most of the words correctly and even used punctuation. So the person wasn't blowing Leah off. Yet, there are reasons to think the person isn't telling the truth either. Number one, was this person really going to wait around until this woman came back from getting gas and visiting her father? I guess this person must not have had anything else to do that day. Number two, Who really will just take a phone from someone who appears out of nowhere saying, please give me 20 bucks and I'll give you this phone. And number three, the person never responded again, did not turn the phone over to police and never gave a name. What makes this a lot tougher though is that conceivably the texter could be telling the truth but Brandon is dead, even by foul play. However, the opposite is also possible. The messenger is lying, but Brandon is alive out there somewhere. For all of you, you'll have to analyze the subtext and context and pretext and whatever else of this text to come to your own conclusions. And if you'd like to read or listen to my thoughts on Brandon's disappearance, please go to patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast and sign up. I'll leave the public theorizing up to you. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm at Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.